The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. What if I preached a sermon that was not, not so bad, but was so uncomfortable and and brought so much conflict to your own heart that, that you all just walked out on me. See, the first gathering laughed, and so I'm, thank you for, for taking this serious with me, because I would hurt deeply. But let's just say you didn't walk out in the middle of it. Let's say, let's say I preached, and you guys just thought, man, that was a, that was a terrible sermon. Um, maybe you didn't even agree with it, and so you didn't show up ever again. Uh, That's the place we find Jesus in. The the sermon titled today is Jesus' Most Unpopular Sermon. Because over the last couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus turn water into wine, which was very popular. Uh, We've seen him turn uh, loaves of bread, a few loaves of bread, into a lot to feed maybe up to 15,000 people. make salmon into just like this buffet of fish and people were eaten and people loved it. We've seen him heal people and people liked it, right? And so he gained a lot of popularity. He did things that people liked and so people flocked to see him. And, and yet today we're going we're gonna to see this incredible pairing of, of grace and truth. In John 1.17, very start of John, it says that, that the law came through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus. So Jesus came with incredible grace. People had needs. They were at a wedding where, where they ran out of wine. And so instead of seeing the people humiliated, or, or when we went through that, we, we learned even that, that you could be fined if you didn't have enough wine right? at a wedding back then, which is wild. But instead of seeing that happen, he showed grace. And he, he provided for them. And then when we found the person who was sick and Jesus healed them, um, he's just pouring out love in places of need. He's bringing enough, right? And so we see all these people starving. Instead of letting them starve, he provides food for them. Grace upon grace he gives. And then today we see Jesus speak truth into that grace. So explain what he is doing and who he is and everyone takes off. It's literally what happens. When no longer is Jesus doing what we like and what we want, but then he explains himself and who he is. What my dad said last week is letting uh, God be God, letting Jesus be Jesus. And when Jesus says, this is who I am, everyone leaves. So, read with me. We're going to start in John six twenty-five through 71. It is a longer portion of scripture. The reason why we, we don't just skip around, we give you the full chunk is, is knowing that there is power in the word of God and that this might be the best part of the whole sermon. <laughs> it's just, just sitting in the text of the scripture together. So here we go. John six twenty five through 71. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? 
And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews then began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, this is, not, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Uh, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? And, and just to explain that, what, what they understood from that is he's claiming to be God. 43, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, only he who has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus just goes for it at this point. He's just all in. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my body is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. And yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe And who would betray him? He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time 
many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, I have chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil. And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, thought, who though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Uh, starting right here at the beginning, I want to explain uh, into the context of how Jesus says this very difficult. These are hard words, they said. They were hard words, partly because the people who had followed Jesus still weren't tracking with Jesus. They still weren't on the same page that he was. And we say this immediately in verse 25 here, where it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? You see, Jesus had, um, after he had fed 15,000 people about... uh, they wanted to make him king. So they, they were big fans, and they, they wanted to, to celebrate him and, and make him king so he could provide for their needs for the rest of his life, which, I mean, why wouldn't he want to do that, right? And so, so instead of doing that, he escapes. He takes off in the mountains. His disciples take off, and, and he leaves them there. And the interesting thing is, is you get the sense here that, that they assume that they are in with Jesus and that he would give them, their, his itinerary, right? So, so they're like, Rabbi, you didn't let us know you were coming over here. The scenario is similar to that of being in the supermarket when, when we've all done this, it's confession time, when you see somebody on aisle 15, and so you need ice cream on aisle 15, but you walk to aisle 16 thinking that you're going to do this action, Right? And, and, so, and so they just happened to walk by you, and they're like, no way! You didn't tell me you were coming to Fred Meyer! And, and so they're super excited, thinking, like, we are, we are together in this. And Jesus was actually trying to escape from them, is the reality of it. And, and so, so when they find him, Jesus, knowing that they are still in very different places uh, in their idea of who he is, he breaks it down for them. And this is what the breakdown looks like. He says, very truly I tell you. So remember, grace and truth. So Jesus has poured grace upon grace on them. He's just, every, every opportunity, they come, even if, even if they come and he's tired with his disciples, he's just love them. And so he's going to bring some, some hard to hear truth, even if it's unpopular. And let me tell you why this is hard for us to understand. Partly is, is a truth-telling leader, right? Hopefully you've experienced that in your life. But, but as, I, as I read this and thought about how we see this trajectory of Jesus' life where he gets more and more popular and then he just kills it. And what I mean by that isn't like, like he keeps getting more popular. I mean like he kills it like everyone stops following him. And we don't really see that a lot these days, right? We, we know um, painfully so right now that, that we have a presidential race where we know whoever gets it, it's very likely that what they do is not what they've promised to do. Right? Like, I feel like that's no surprise. You're not like, no way. <laughs> like, I thought Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were just like the truth tellers. Like, I thought, I, I thought that everything that came out of their mouth was just like to be trusted. 
No, we, like, we know from their history and from their stories and all the YouTube videos you've watched, right? <laughs> it's like, this is them in 84 and then 92 and 97 and 2006. And like, this is how they said it different every time. And so you watch that and, and we just aren't used to truth telling. But then, then we, we listen to Jesus and he goes, this is not what you want to hear. But I'm going to tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw the sign I from porn, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Yeah, he says, you're not looking for me because you want me. You're looking for me because what you think I can do for you. And then he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. See, what, what Jesus is doing, and in the next couple of verses, he's giving us the, the interpretive key to understand the rest of the stuff that just sounds crazy. The interpretive key here is he says, he says you know how it is when, when you work really hard for something. And back then, I think especially, they didn't have refrigeration. And so, right, if they had some delicious fruit or cheese or whatever it was, they, they knew that their food would spoil very quickly, that Jesus could make bread for them, but in a number of days, it would be, Moldy, they didn't have wonderful GMOs, you know, praise God for GMOs. Like, it, it, it just went bad real quickly. They didn't have hydrogenated oils. Uh, they, they just were impoverished, right? So unhealthy back then. Um, and so their food went bad really quickly. And so he says, so everything that you want from me is temporary. Everything your, your appetite longs for is passing, the desires of your heart, they don't last. It's just that, that's what you've gone after, though. And so, and so Jesus is, is saying, there's other food that I have for you, but I haven't, I haven't told you about it yet because you come and I, I love on you, and then, and then you still don't really want what I have to offer. And so I'm, I'm going to tell you. And so this is what he tells him, right? Uh, Only the Son of Man can give it to you, for on him the Father has placed his Seal of approval. The, the father is, uh, is happy with the son. The son is, is holy and, and approved by the father. He can, he's the only one who can do the task that, that is assigned to him. And, and we're going to talk a little more about that in a second. The interesting thing is, is they say this. Even though only the son can give them eternal life. The eternal food that does not spoil. Listen to them in 28. It says... Well, what must we do to do the works of God? So, this is crazy talk. Jesus just said, only the Son can give you this food. And then they go, well, if we were to work for it, what would one do to work for it? It's wild. Jesus said, only the Son can give, and yet they still are thinking that, (laughs) they're still thinking that, that they have something to offer God, it's crazy. And so then Jesus says this, and this is literally the interpretive key for the, the whole text here, is it, it, the work of God is this. Boil it down to this. Simplify it to this. To believe in the one he has sent. And so every time you, you hear, drink the blood and, and uh, eat the body, right? Uh, eat the flesh, all these things that, that are hard for us to understand, he is merely talking about believe in the one he has sent. It's just why that's confusing to us is because that we aren't that all in. We're still, we're still sampling. Like, 
the example my dad had last week of, of we're still trying to pick and put together whichever option we want. And Jesus says, this is the only thing you can consume. Eat my flesh, drink my... He's just like going all out. That's what it means to be all in and to, to believe in the one he has sent. But this is what they say. They say, what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? So the ultimate frustration for us as we read this is not that we, we don't see where they're coming from, but we do see where they're coming from. We, we have the privilege of walking through John up to this point. And we have seen Jesus love them and care for them and prove himself trustworthy. Um, in our lives, we experience the same thing. We've seen God love us. We've seen him prove himself to us in so many ways. We have the testimony of scripture that we can read and instruct us. And yet, how often do we find ourselves saying, God, if you provide me my daily bread today, then I will trust you. God, I know you, I know you provided for me yesterday. I know you were all I needed. I remember that time two weeks ago when, when I was just grieving and you comforted me. But God, unless you comfort me right now, I'm not going to put my trust in you. And that's exactly what they're doing. They have seen signs and words. They were just, 15,000 of them were just fed by him. And they said, well, what sign will you do? So we trust you. What new trick will you have for us? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. And the thing is this, is that, that what they saw is he gave them bread from heaven is they're, they're not seeing it as the father's gift. They're seeing it as the gift Moses had for them. And so it's the classic, you know, is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan, right? Is there like, well, if you are better than Moses, then we might trust you. You know, if you, you know, are great, right? The guys that we look to as the classic great heroes, if Jesus, at this point, you can show off to us then we're going to trust you. And so go, Jesus goes on to, to prove himself to them. And so Jesus says, very truly, I, I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. My question here as we go into the rest of the, the scripture is this, it's frustrating watching these people, right? And, and I'm sure it's frustrating you watching me go through my life, right? It's, just, it's kind of frustrating watching the tenderness and care and truth of Jesus and then, and then how every time we just say something that we're like, we're not getting it. And so, so the big question that we're asking today is, is why is it why does he seem so easy and yet so impossible to believe God? Why does it seem so easy on one hand? Because when I'm talking to you right now, you're probably like, yeah! And then, and then we go and, and then so much of our lives it just seems impossible to, to act out a life of complete reliance upon God. Why is that so hard? Well, before we jump into that and, and the three truths that I have for you, I'm going to read you um, a quote by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And, and this kind of builds out the context from all of Scripture and allows us to, 
um, to appreciate it and see how the Bible deals with this. And this is, this is what he says in, in a book called Eat This Book. It says, we are fond of saying that the Bible has all the answers. We love saying that. And this is certainly correct. The text of the Bible sets us in a reality that is corresponding with who we are as created beings in the image of God and what we are destined for in the purposes of Christ. But the Bible also has all the questions, many of them that we would just as soon were never asked of us, and some of which we will spend the rest of our lives doing our best to dodge. I'm going to read that again for you. This is incredible. The Bible also has all the questions, many of them that we would just as soon never ask were never asked of us, and some of which we spend the rest of our lives doing our best to dodge. So the Bible isn't just giving us answers, but it's also ask, helping us ask the questions that make us really uncomfortable and can chase us off, right? Things are, issues are raised in Scripture that aren't comfortable. Sometimes when we read the Scripture, it is profoundly challenging to our hearts. And so we read it and we're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head back to like, John 3.16 or something. Like, I get that. <laughs> There's other things that just are crazy to us. And so we try to dodge them. The Bible is a most comforting book, but it's also a most discomforting book. Eat this book. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will also be bitter in your stomach. You can't reduce this book to what you can handle. You can't domesticate this book to what you are comfortable with. You can't make it your toy poodle trained to respond to your commands. This book makes us participants in the world of God's being and action. But we don't participate on our own terms. We don't get to make up our plot or decide what character we will be. Eat this book, but have a well-stocked cupboard of Alka-Seltzer and Pepto-Bismol at hand. It's a scary thing to open the scripture at sometimes, and we find ourselves in that scary place. So why, why is it so easy maybe at this moment to put your trust in God, but then why is it so hard? There's, there's three things I have for you, and the first is this, that if you're following along in your notes, this is the first point, that, that believing is, in a, is a gift, not an achievement. Believing is a gift, not an achievement. And what do I mean by this? Well, I think the reason why Jesus was so okay with all these people taken off is because he knew that there was nothing in them that would just click and make sense. It had to be a gift from the Father that would draw them to himself. One of the, I, I thought actually about having the big question of today be, when is Jesus okay with people just taken off? <laughs> it, seems, it seems like that's the, the, like the hard, crazy question is, is Jesus at the very end, he looks to his disciples and he goes, hey, are you guys taken off too? <laughs> Maybe I'm some one-on-one time with God, right? He's just like, he gets to the end and he doesn't seem concerned that 15,000 people that had just pledged their loyalty to him had just left. And the reason is because he sees the plot. He sees the big picture. And so many of us are, we're grasping. We're just trying to hold on to the, the food that perishes around us. And so Jesus seeing the big picture he sees that it is a gift, uh, not an achievement. And we see this through multiple times here. If you look at, um, at John six thirty two, um, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. In verse 37 he says, 
all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And in verse 40, he says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. In verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so what we see here is, is Jesus saying, no matter what you do, no matter work, no matter what work you do, it is completely up to a gift of the Father that you come. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to help Jesus save you. There's nothing you can even do to save other people. The relationship is purely this. Jesus saves and you get saved. And so your one job is this. This is the big idea. Your one job, one job is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Amen. And that's where we go, why, why does it sound so easy and it seems so impossible to believe? <laughs> if that's my one job, it seems like I should rock at that. But we don't. It's because it is not an achievement. There is nothing you can do. Because we, we constantly find ourselves back at that place where Jesus says to them, only I can give you the food that doesn't, doesn't perish. And then we go, so tell me what work I've got to do. And Jesus says, this is one job. One job alone is that you believe in the one he has sent. Believing is a gift from God, not an achievement. And this, this is terribly confusing because then we go, well, well, I'm frustrated by the efforts I give because I want this. And, and so the explanation is simply twofold. One is how the Father draws and who the Father draws is not for you and I to know. I don't understand that at all. But the testimony you have, if you're a Christian, if you trace it back, is as simple as this. One day, I found in my heart a longing for God that I couldn't shut up. And, and I, I committed to follow him. And that's your story. I could tell all of your testimonies for you. Okay, other than like I was baptized when I was seven and then I screwed up and then I'm back. Okay, um, like whatever your story is, I don't know what that part is, but everyone's story, regardless of where you come from, does not start by you going, well, I compiled the facts because I'm super smart and I had all the facts, every single one. And I decided this was true. You're not ever going to have all the facts. You're never going to have perfect knowledge, but you will have perfect desperation, right? And you get to that point where you're like, I am so screwed up. God would never want me. And the Father's drawn you at that point, and he's welcoming you into his life, right? That only he can give as a gift, and you can only receive. You can't achieve or win it. It's an act of grace. The second thing is this, is that believing is like eating, not like playing video games. Um, and, and I just, I want this to be helpful for some of you. Um, see, you need to eat. 
But you don't need video games. Okay? You don't have to catch them all. Right? <laughs> you knew I was going to talk about that. Right? Um, it is... If you start playing a video game, and say you just get lost in your fantasy world, you will die if you don't eat. And by eating, I'm, I, don't, I don't mean you know, Mountain Dew and Cheetos. and like that, You also will die. <laughs> and that's it. It's, it's not even on the food pyramid. Um, so, so the soul has a specific diet. Right? The soul has a specific diet. And what we do is, is we, we play around by trying to feast our whole lives upon appetizers. And what I mean by this is, is I, just, I want to build a lot of common ground with you because I know that you and I have both been in this place where we go to a Mexican restaurant and, and we are constantly delighted by the fact that we get chips and beans and salsa before we even order. And, and so it comes to you and... And you know that that is not the main course. And you, you start eating. And then, and you pretend like you're paying attention to the person with you, but you're not. You're just like, you're exploring what like beans and then salsa is like, and then salsa then beans. And, and you're just lost in that world. And, and you forget that you have a main course coming. And by the time your, your beautiful enchilada comes out, it's just like, can I get a to-go box? And, but that's the way we live our lives. Is, is in the appetizer zone. And let me tell you what appetizers are. Appetizers are, is your marriage, right? your friendships. It's your hobbies. It's your work. It's these things that God created that are good and are amazing, and yet they aren't the main course. Because you have one job. <laughs> you have one job to believe in the sun. And all those other things are tastes. And they're good. And, and we are meant to be You think it's crazy that Jesus says, eat me, but we are meant to be appetizers to one another, right? Helping people taste the goodness of God, but you aren't it. If someone experiences grace and truth through you, you are still an appetizer. We're really running with this food analogy. And, and, And yet Jesus is the main course. And so when he says, when we go into him saying, consume me, he's going, I'm it. The beginning, middle, and end. I'm the way, the truth of life. I am, right? I am the bread of life. Amen. And that's what we go into the third point. And the third point is simply this, that, that believing is specific and not general. Like I said earlier, the soul has a specific diet. Nothing will fill your soul except for the Son of God who loves you and gave himself for you. And there's a million appetizers you can try, but... But don't work for food that spoils. Don't work for food that spoils. The only thing that doesn't spoil is a gift. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It's a gift from God. And that gift for you is something that you can feast on and is something that's specific. There's only one meal that satisfies and one meal alone. And that's what Jesus declares when he says this in, in John 6. 47 to 51. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat 
and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. See, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, and I, and I will give it for the life of the world. See, we spend so much of our lives seeing if a different um, combination of appetizers will finally satisfy. Maybe you move from one relationship to another, or you move from one hobby to another, or you think that working longer will do it, or whatever it is. You, and so you, maybe you combine another appetizer in your life, and, and a new hobby, or a new friendship, or, or a new house, or whatever, whatever it is you have. It's all these things you try to combine, and they're appetizers. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis where he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I find myself with desires that no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And, and you were. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, don't work any longer for food that spoils, but take what I have to give. And yet we are surprisingly content with our appetizers. And so the response that was given in verse 60 is this. This is hard teaching. Who can accept this? Who can only say we have one main dish, right? Uh, I think that was it. We go, um, Jesus, I like my options, and I'm going to keep playing with them. Who can accept this? And so they, they take off. When Jesus challenges the disciples, Simon Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? If he asks if they're going to leave, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What I want you to see in here is incredible. I want you to see that the disciples, Peter speaking for all of them, he's not saying, Jesus, we have exhausted all our other options. Jesus, we, we've had perfect knowledge of everything else, and so we chose you. What, what Peter says is simply this. We have let everything else go. right? Because for some of us, what we try to do is literally try to experience everything. And, and even then, when we're walking with Jesus, we'll kind of like take pot, like I'm going to put my faith on pause for a little bit, and so I can like try this out, and then, oh, thanks, Jesus, you're in this comfort zone, so I'm going to come back to you. And that's not the way it works. <laughs> And so, so Peter says, no, we've, we've actually just let go of everything else. Where else will we go? We've just let go of it. And we've consumed you. We're, we're taking you at your word. And so they remained. And so Jesus moves on with 12. What I want to invite you guys into as we walk forward as a people, as individuals, and a church is to think deeply about what it looks like to stop trying to be satisfied by the appetizers in our lives. And, and even beyond that, to stop trying to satisfy others by being what will satisfy them. And, and I have fallen victim to this many times in my life. Um, even as the pastor of this church, uh, among the other pastors, the other elders of the church, I am 
desperately needy of Jesus, and I don't have what it takes to lead you to Jesus. I don't. Because all I am is an appetizer for you. Hopefully it gives you tastes of who he is and pointing you to him and saying, let's, let's feast upon him together. Let's give up everything else and let's go for him. And the best thing you can do for me is be a taste of Jesus to me. That reminds me of the goodness of God. <laughs> reminds me that I can feast upon him and I don't have to have all these other options. I don't have to keep going back for more of the, than the tortilla chips, right? Like, and for some of us, that might mean this. It might mean remembering, and I think this is going to hit some of us real hard. It might be remembering how satisfied we were in Jesus when we first said, it's only you that I'm going to go after. For some of us, it's a memory. Because we did that, and then in time, we, we started going back to the snack tray, right? And just like, and gorging on all these things that don't satisfy. And, and the memory of satisfaction is real. And so maybe the best thing you can do to one another is say, are you satisfied in him? And to be brutally honest, and if you aren't saying no, I don't even want to go to church sometimes, right? And, and just saying, well, how, what are we going to do? Like, Because Jesus is all satisfying. And for some of you, it's just remembering that. As I remember times in my life where I was all out, and it was the best thing ever. That's, that, there was no regrets from that time. It was a very beautiful, pure time. I, and, and yet, even in my life, to live in confession with you guys, there's a lot of appetizers that are taking my attention. So as a church, let's feast upon the main course. This is your one job, to put your faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. So will you stay? Or will you go? That's Jesus' question for you. Let's worship him together. God, thank you so much for being truthful with us. Saying it like it is. God, your word to us, nowhere in the scripture is to do whatever we want. Your word to us constantly is, come to me, all you who are weary. Because in you alone is rest. You alone is satisfaction. I pray that by your spirit, these words will rest very seriously on our hearts and in our minds. And and so we won't go from this and just let go of them, but we will go away from today and find ourselves profoundly drawn again to you who alone satisfies. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen.